0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And now, friends, let me invite you to uh, open with me in the Bible. We are going to Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, We've been taking a little bit of a break from our uh, Abraham sermon series, The Faith of Our Father, looking at a few topics related to the sacraments. Last week we looked in some detail about the Lord's Supper, and today, as it's appropriate, some thoughts on baptism. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. As you're going there, you will find it on page 910 of a Pew Bible, and you do want to follow along. And we'll be going to one other place uh, in the scriptures today, uh, but we primarily will be thinking about Acts chapter 2. Baptism uh, gives us this wonderful opportunity to reflect uh, meaningfully on what it is that God has done, and what it is that God is doing through this great act of this sacrament. And uh, here in Acts chapter 2, we see a certain word about it. Let us first pray and ask God's blessing upon His word, and then we'll hear God's word together. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great privilege of being your sons and daughters. We thank you for the grace of the Bible and the fact that here you reveal yourself to us. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds to give us understanding. Lord, help us to grow today, not just in knowledge, but in heartfelt faith and trust in you, our covenant God, that we might be a more faithful people. And so, Lord, come and bless the hearing of your word today, we ask in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36 through the end of 41 in the context this is at the uh, towards the end of the day of pentecost and the conclusion of peter's sermon at that very special day this is the word of god let all the house of israel therefore know for certain that god hath made him both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified now when they heard this they were cut to the heart whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us keep our Bibles open here. And uh, today, as I said, we... We want to think meaningfully about baptism, and uh, actually, I want to do two things. Uh, first of all, to, to just establish, biblically for us, some realities about baptism, so that as we have many questions, I think about what baptism is, and what it's for, and what it does, we want to touch on those. But then, secondly, and perhaps in more detail, uh, I want to be answering the question, what are we supposed to do with baptism, okay? What are we supposed to do with our baptism, because we are supposed to do something with it and we are a part of a tradition that has very clear teaching about this uh, and I think that it's something that all of us need to grow in our understanding of so that we might live more faithfully as God's people. So as we find here in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching the gospel, he has concluded at the end of his Pentecost sermon the reality that Jesus Christ is Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world and that all people should come to him through faith and trust. And he gives that word in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 saying, "...repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ." And he uses these words in verse 39 that I want to pay special attention to. Verse 39 says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. You know, again, there are many those who think uh, in different traditions that it's not proper that children be baptized. Uh, because, they, again, they don't know what's happening And they don't have apprehension of it. And it doesn't mean anything to them. And they might even say, well, it's just a ceremony. It's just a a fancy ceremony. And in that mindset, there is some real concerns, not just for those who don't hold to infant baptism, but for those who hold to infant baptism, but still only see baptism as, you know, just a cute ceremony. What is baptism? What is it for? What is it doing If we fall into this trap that baptism is just ceremony, uh, something that happened a long time ago without much relevance, then we are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God has given to his people to enjoy. But we must know what that blessing is. In in order to do that, we must make good use of our baptism. And as I use that phrase, I wonder if that makes uh, you ask a few questions. Have you ever heard the phrase, The use of your baptism. How do you use baptism? You know, you use tools, right? You use something, you take it in your hand and you apply it. But can you use baptism? The answer to that question is yes. But how you use baptism is oftentimes a little bit confusing. But we recognize in Peter's words in Acts chapter 2 that the promise... Is both for those who receive and for children. That is to say, that God has spoken promises as a covenant God to both parents and their children. And not only biologically, but to all who are afar off, as Peter says in verse 39, that God has extended his promise to those who receive him and those in their household and in the proximity of their very lives. And Peter is using these words. The promise is for you. And uh, hopefully, especially if you've been with us throughout our study of Abraham, you recognize these words. When Peter says the promise of God is for you and for your children, he is quoting from Genesis 17. So keep your finger in Acts chapter 2 there, but let's go back to Exodus or Genesis 17 and remember these words. Because God has made this promise through Peter to all who would hear meaning you, meaning all the people on that day of Pentecost, to all who would hear, but it was a promise that God first said to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17, thousands of years earlier. And in chapter 17, we find the institution of the sign of the covenant, namely circumcision, so that Genesis 17 verse 7 says, Genesis 17 verse 7 God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you the land, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God This language, I will be your God and you will be my people, is perhaps the central reality of all of the Bible. That God calls together a people and says to them, I am your God and you are my people. And in order to teach what that means that I'm your God and you are my people, I place upon you a visible sign to distinguish you as my people. And in the Old Testament, that was circumcision. And we read about that, and we studied it in Genesis 17. In the New Testament, the visible sign that God gives to distinguish His people so that they might know that they are His people and He is their God is not circumcision anymore, but rather baptism. Baptism is the visible sign that God gives to His people so that they would know that they are the people of God. And this promise is a multi-generational promise. Do you notice how it says in verse 7 that this covenant is established between me and you, Abraham, and your offspring, most immediately Isaac and then Jacob, but then their offspring after them throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And that is to say that when God promised to Abraham that he would be his God and the God of his children, that that same promise runs through the whole Bible, and that is the promise that Peter quotes when he says, the promise is for you and your children, because God is a God of covenant. God is a God who marks his people out with this sign. And this matters because the promise is handed down generation to generation, just like the telling of a family story. And the family story of the Bible, as God calls us as His own, is this. That you and I are not free to choose our own gods. There is only one God. And He claims His people as His own. We are not free to turn from him, though we often do. There is only one God. The point of the point is, is that you have a family story in the family story of Abraham, in the family story of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And if we don't tell the family story, we lose the family story. How many of you have heard perhaps a relative, a grandfather, go into the same story for the hundredth time and you roll your eyes and say... I've heard this, I've heard that before, right? Except in 60 years, you begin to appreciate and remember that story and tell it to the next generation because that's how the story passes on by the telling of the story. And from the generations of Abraham to Peter, the story is told as You have a God, He claims you as His own. Walk in obedience with Him and respond to His love. And that is manifest chiefly in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and He calls to Himself all those who turn to Him in faith and repentance and gathers them together into the family of the people of God. And the family of the people of God must tell their family story. And this is our family story. That God is our God and He's claimed us as His own and we must walk with Him. And our baptism is the chief way that we tell that family story it keeps the family story in our hearts even when we've heard it for the hundredth time we remember that this is our story but what do we do with it that is really the the central aim that I want us to think about here What do we do with it? As Peter says, again, that this promise is for you and for your children. How do we apply that promise? And what do we do with it? How should we take it home and use it? Especially because uh, you may not be familiar, we read from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but the Larger Catechism uses this language. And at first, the first time I ever read it, I thought it was really strange. The Larger Catechism talks about improving your baptism. Improving your baptism. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to improve your baptism? It might seem like kind of a strange concept, but that is the way they use to explain the idea of using your baptism, like a tool. How should your baptism be improved is asking, how should your baptism be used? Again, we might not think of baptism this way, but this is the way that God intended it. Think about it this way. You have a birth certificate, right? Right? And most people, I think, lock their birth certificate away in a safety deposit box somewhere and only pull it out maybe when you have to validate a marriage license or maybe one or two other times, if ever. We do not oftentimes live in the conscious reality of our birth certificate even though it represents the fact that we're alive. Your birth certificate testifies to the reality that you are alive. We live in the midst of our lives, but we do not often think about the reality that here is this visible pledge that testifies to the fact that we are alive. We just go on living without ever thinking about it. And it's possible in the same sense for you as a Christian believer to go about your life without the conscious reality of your baptism. And that prohibits your spiritual growth. So the Westminster Divines talk about using and improving our baptism. How should we do that? I want to say three things. How should your baptism be used by you? And the first thing is that our baptism reminds us of the gospel. Your baptism preaches the gospel to you. It means that we are dirty and defiled by sin from our birth. It tells us that we need to be cleansed and we need to be washed of our sins. And it tells us that we can be washed of our sins through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ through faith. We are baptized into Jesus. And when we are baptized, we take God's name upon us and we are united to Jesus Christ so that His life becomes our life and His death becomes our death and His resurrection becomes ours and His eternal life becomes ours. Baptism shows us the power of the gospel by telling us we need to be cleansed from our sins. What that means then is that baptism is not a sign of what we do baptism is not a sign of our personal repentance. Baptism is not a sign of our personal commitment to Christ. Baptism is a sign of God's commitment to you, not your commitment to Him. He says, here is a visible sign to remind you of the gospel, and the gospel is what God does for us, not what we do for ourselves. And so therefore, baptism tells you that you need to be cleansed from your sins and that cleansing can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the use of baptism is the continual reminder of the gospel. Secondly, we should use our baptism to remind us that we don't belong to ourselves. You are not yours if you are a baptized Christian. We belong to another, not to ourselves, and we certainly do not belong to sin anymore. You know, one of the most important times for you to use your baptism is when you face temptation. And every single one of us here faces temptation. Every day, beset from all sides. It does not matter what the manner of your temptation is. It does not matter what the particulars of the sin that you're being inclined to are. We are all tempted. And when our flesh inclines us towards whatever pleasure, whatever satisfaction that is outside of God's word, how do we say no to sin? Do we just clench our fists and resist as hard as we can? How do we say no to sin? And we are taught to remember our baptism when we face temptation. To say, I have died to sin, and I have been made alive in Jesus Christ. I have been raised to new life. I don't have to be a slave to an old master. I have been baptized. You know, consequently, that is one of the most famous examples from Martin Luther's life. Martin Luther said this all the time. When he was tempted, and he was a man with great temptations, he would grab a piece of chalk and scrawl across his desk these words, Baptizatus sum, which means I am baptized. Martin Luther fought the temptation of the devil by crying back to him, saying, I am a baptized Christian. I do not have to give in to the temptations of sin. I belong to another. I am not under the reign of sin, I am under the reign of Jesus Christ. With your baptism, God intends for you to fight the temptation of sin in your life by saying, I am a baptized Christian. Your baptism is a weapon to use against the enemy of your temptations. So our baptism reminds us of the gospel. Our baptism marks us as belonging to God and no longer to sin. And third, our baptism unites us to Christ's body. And this is of special importance today when we witness a baptism because, as I said, you as a Christian believer, when you see a baptism, you are not an observer. You are not a spectator who is passive. You are an active co-participant in the sacrament of God's grace so that you should say, as water is applied to this child, you should say in your soul, I am baptized as well, that this is true of me. What is true of Jonathan today is true of you. If you are a Christian believer, that you are baptized and that we are called to live into the unity and the reality of the body of Christ. And the unity of that body is the fullness of believers who are baptized in Christ. We make good use of our baptism when we remember that we are baptized into the unity of the church and it doesn't matter what shape or form that church takes. It doesn't matter the name of the denomination on the sign outside of the door. If you are baptized into Jesus Christ Ephesians 4, 5 says there is but one body and we are baptized into the spiritual body of Christ unified together. That means we belong to Jesus and to one another. If you are a baptized Christian, many things are true of you. You have these promises, but it also places upon you this obligation and think of them for a second, a few of them. If you are baptized into the unity of the body of Christ, then quarreling and petty disputes do not belong in that body. Jesus' body is not to be divided by petty disputes and personal squabbles or bearing grudges against one another for any reason whatsoever because you don't belong to you. Your life is not your own in Christ, you belong to Him. You are called to be, as a baptized Christian, a biblical peacemaker. To not be someone who sits idly back when there is a dispute, but someone who actively promotes the peaceability and unity of the body of Christ. And also we are called in that one body to pursue the biblical reality of the unity of Christ, to foster true and good relationships of biblical unity among Christian believers. This church is not the only game in town. We're not the only gospel preaching church. We're not the only Bible believing church, and we don't think of ourselves that way because of our baptism. We are baptized into one body, even though that body manifests itself in different locations. So I want to ask you today are you baptized? If the answer to that question is no, Peter says to you, repent and be baptized. And receive the sign of God's grace in your life and all of its benefits. And if you are baptized, the question then is, how are you using it? If we think of our baptism as something that we just stow away in a safety deposit box, only to pull out maybe one or two times across of our lifetime, then at the end of the day, our baptism will be almost shrink-wrapped and barely taken out of the box, never used throughout our lives. God intends for you to use your baptism so that coming to the end of your earthly life, the memory of that baptism has torn edges and worn sides and tattered pages because throughout your life, you have said again and again and again, I am a baptized Christian. I have used my baptism to fight sin in my life. I have used my baptism to remind me that I am a child of God. I have used my baptism to pledge my obedience to Jesus Christ because He has first claimed me as His own. People of God, do not store your baptism away. Use it. And use it with the mindfulness that you are a child of God. And with that memory, be blessed in the knowledge of the gospel. And if you, again, have not responded in faith to your baptism, if you have been baptized but have never called upon the name of Jesus with your trust, then your baptism stands as a testimony to you that you must answer this call. You must respond to the God who claims you. Or you must be cast off. And so let us respond, let us use our baptism and may it bring God glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrament of baptism. We praise you for your purposes of using it in our lives. We pray, Lord, that in very practical ways we might be those who see ourselves as the children of God. Lord, may we tell ourselves this truth and also the next generation that you might always have a faithful people here to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us to do this in ways that bring honor to you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.